morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, especially our guests, those who are with us for the first time or fairly new. Thank you for making us your church home for an hour today. And Merry Christmas to all of you. Turn with me over to the book of Luke. Book of Luke. The title of the sermon today is Looking for Jesus. Looking for Jesus. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous, was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God. Lord, help us as we study your word, I pray. Four things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, what it means to be righteous. Two, what it means to be devout or some, something akin to a real sense of holiness. Three, what it means to be rubbernecking. And then three, four, what it means to, to have the Spirit of God, the Ruach in your life, to be led by Him, Spirit-inspired. What we see here is a man who was fairly unusual in his day, though he was pretty pedestrian in his makeup. Simeon was, was a man who saw things that others did not, though we don't see anything about him being called a prophet, nothing about him being called a pastor. We have no idea of the tribe from which he hailed. Maybe it was Levi, we don't know. The Levites were the ones who were to care for the temple on a regular basis, but it doesn't say. Everything about this passage leads us to believe that Simeon was just a really great Christian. Old Testament saint. Really great. Love servant in the church. Maybe he was the favorite usher that you see every time you walk in. Or the parking lot attendant that you pass by that you don't want to obey when he tells you where to park, where you're supposed to park. Maybe he was a great intercessor that showed up on Friday nights and just called down heaven on the earth. Don't know. But he doesn't have a title. But his lack of title sure does encourage me because if he had a title, people would relegate everything to what happened next to the fact that he was such and such. Well, he was a priest. That's what ought to happen for a priest. He was a Levite. He was somebody who cared for the temple. That's what ought to happen for those religious kinds. It doesn't happen to normal human beings. But everything about this passage makes you think that Simeon was just a normal human being that loved to be in the house of God, loved it, and that he had a hope every day that something was coming that was going to help his own people. It says he was righteous. And righteous means a couple of things. It has the the distinction of describing not only a person's standing before God, but how they treat one another. So we want to be right with God. Being right with God allows us the privilege of 
knowing that every day he's pleased with us, though there may be some things in our life that aren't as what they should be, when we repent, that puts us straight back in line with him. And we have the confidence every day that although our rightness is verified by how we live, we are not dependent upon our rightness to be right. That as a result of being right on the inside, which has been made that way by God, that the only way human beings can really be right is if God changes our heart and makes us that which we can't be on our own. There's not enough good you can do to make up for all the bad you've done. So all the bad you've done declares that there needs to be judgment in your life for every one of your misdeeds. And it defines you as being unrighteous. Somebody who can't attain righteousness any longer because what we have done has disqualified us permanently. But God came and, and through Christ wiped out all of our unrighteousness. Not just the deeds we have done, but he made a pathway by which our hearts can be cleansed so we no longer want to go that direction. But now we are bent in the way that we want to obey God. This is what makes a Christian a Christian. It is not that he tries harder. It's that he has surrendered and said, Jesus, take over my life. I realize how messed up I am on the inside. And the reason I've done the stuff on the outside that's not good is because there's, there's not good on the inside. Change me on the inside so that I can reflect the goodness that you've created on the inside on the outside. That's what righteousness looks like on the outside. People are able to tell that Simeon was right because God had done something on the inside that made everybody else. And this wasn't Simeon saying, by the way, righteousness has come to church today. He wasn't tooting his own horn. This was a commentary that others said about him. And my hope is that you would live in such a way that other people would notice your righteousness before you say it. Now, I want you to say it. I'm not talking about proclaiming I am a righteous person. I'm talking about making sure that you've got a defense for the hope that is within you that goes beyond the fact that you just happen to be a little bit better in other people's eyes than those who are really bad. And so they think you're really good. And, 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 and if you don't explain how good you are not, then they'll think, oh, you are my evidence that mankind is good and getting better. No, 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 no. Mankind is not good and getting better. Mankind is bad and staying worse. Whatever staying worse means. The reason I am the way I am is because Jesus changed my heart. And as a result, you can see it reflected in my actions. Righteousness is that which is seen by others. That we are right with him, and they can see it, they, they, they smell it, they just sense it. And then, as a result of our being right with him, we, we really want to treat other people well. Time and again in the Old Testament, you'll find it says that he was a righteous man in his generation. And it doesn't only refer to his standing before God, but it refers to how he treats humanity. What does it mean when... He comes across somebody in need. What does it mean when he is treated poorly by somebody else? Does he respond in kind? He's right with humanity. He treats people well. And Jesus tied our love for him to our love for humanity to such a degree that he said this. 
when asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Ah, but the second is like it. I know you want one, but you can't have one without the other. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no way you can love God right without loving people right. And if you love people right, it's because you love God right. So you can't separate the two. There's no way you can pull them apart and be right. So when it says that Simeon was righteous, he did both of these things really well. Now all I'm saying as prep is to understand the prep that was on the inside of this man that, 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 that paved the way for him to be the kind of guy that could see things that nobody else saw that day. And we need to see Jesus in Christmas. I know we're church folk. And, and I know we, we work really hard at trying to produce an atmosphere that allows you to come in here and to experience something different than a Walmart. That's intentional. We're trying to do that. But something happens when you walk out that door. You get it here in doses of concentration that really make you happy, and that's why you come back next week. And for that, I'm grateful. And we may not be the best, but we, at least we're yours. We're helping you along a little bit. But when you walk out, do you see, sense, and feel the same kind of thing that you feel in here? Are you dependent upon this environment, this one hour out of the 168 a week, to make sure that God is with you? Because if this is it, I'm glad for it because it's one hour more than most people get. But you need him the other 167. You need to see him the other 167. Something about Simeon prepared him to see the Christ child when everybody else in church missed it. Now, there was one other woman named Anna. What a lady. Now, she's described as a prophetess. And so she was right there with Simeon. We read about her later. Wow. Just an amazing lady. Devoted. Uh, married for seven years and then really young and then lived to 84 as kind of a Hebrew nun. Just an amazing lady. But both of these people were in church. They were in the temple. And, and, and they saw something that the high priest missed, that the pastor missed, that all the deacons missed. You could actually have a religious environment and miss seeing Jesus. And this Christmas, I beg you, let him be the centerpiece of your moment. It's not just a nice phrase, he's the reason for the season. You need to invite him into your, your world. Not just on Tuesday, the 25th, but into your car as you drive home when you're arguing with your wife about who's got the controls over the, the heater. <laughs> you need to invite Jesus in your home when the kids aren't as happy that, that Santa didn't give them what, what they asked for. That there's something so much deeper and bigger. And it's really dependent upon you parents to create the environment whereby worship is central, letting Jesus be seen. You need to create uh, traditions in your home that are intentionally about that rather than just about the opening of gifts. All throughout our growing up periods, we had uh, um, an Advent ceremony in our own home. And so we would do dinners when our kids were little. And every week on the Sunday, generally, when we have Advent here, we do it at our house. 
and we had many more candles because each child had to light one. <laughs> so even though we'd do it on the four Sundays prior to Christmas, we'd have like seven candles. And so we'd create other moments where, you, okay, two candles get lit today. But our children look forward to it, and we read the portion of the Christmas story that we had here. We have a moment of prayer, we'd sing. Now, as the kids got older, we couldn't do it because we, we rarely ate dinner together. Everybody was doing everything. You had play practice. You had basketball practice. You had cheerleading practice. You had football. You had so piano, so many things. We had, to, we had to make sure we now scheduled these moments so that we could make, make a moment that allowed us to remember the purpose of the, the season. And now we do it mostly on Christmas Eve because my kids are all over. They're working all over the country. Bring them home. And we have a moment where we do this. Now, they're 30. The youngest is 18. They're thinking, Dad, we're lighting a candle. Mm. <laughs> little kids, I get it. I get it. It's really unnecessary for we who adults, to, uh, if we understand this, to really light a candle. Significant. I, I get it. But we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. And we're going to take two minutes out of our time to bring light into the world artificially. And we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a Christmas hymn. And then we're going to open our stockings on Christmas Eve. We're going to have a good meal. That's what we do. It allows for a moment that is centrally focused just on him. Please, create that kind of environment. Now, what you need is much more than just a moment. The, the traditional things that you craft in order to bring Jesus into an artificial environment where he may not be regularly seen are important. But there needs to be an atmosphere whereby the accidental can happen, if you will. Accidental I use in very loose terms. There's nothing that happens by accident. God is sovereign and he allows for things to happen, controls things happening. I get all that. But when we look at this moment here with Simeon, this wasn't planned. He just happened to be in church. And all of a sudden, Jesus is brought in. <laughs> First of all, you want to make sure you're in church as often as possible so you don't miss nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying, any day it might be special. In America, our, our general... <laughs> oh, I'm going to talk bad about you right now. In America, our general rule is that most church members only come to church once a month. Unless their life is really tanking. Then they come on Sunday, Wednesday, make appointment with the pastor on Tuesday. But otherwise, they get, they treat church like they treat their car for a week. I fill up when I need to. Don't need to go to the gas station until I'm on empty, right? Which is really sad. So you want to be in the environment of the kingdom where, you, where Jesus shows up, you won't miss it. But in order to make sure that these unscripted moments are not missed by you even if you're in the building you got to have the right foundation and Simeon was first righteous secondly it says he was devout now devout is that which 
kind of signifies purity of soul, his intent of heart, the leaning toward making sure that everything was properly ordered in his life and in his heart. Reverent is the second point. This was a man who loved worship. He, he, he loved to make sure that his heart was completely clean. And, and it, it's a man that wasn't judging himself by others to, to make him feel better about his life. And generally, when we judge ourselves by others, we always choose the people that are worse than us to make us feel better about ourselves. Nobody ever judges themselves by Mother Teresa. Yeah, me and Mother Teresa, one and one eight, right there. We, we just like that. Nobody does that. And yet she needed Jesus. And so there's, no, there, there's nothing about looking at one another and saying, I'm good because I'm not doing that. And when we do that, we, we don't have a really good, good judge. We don't evaluate well. So let me see if I can put this on the screen. In the first service, it was a disaster. But let's see if it works in this service. So is it on the screen? Thank you. So what we see on the, on the right side, is it your right, is black. Le- you're right, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right, black. Now, that is not that the screen isn't working. That's actually a black piece of paper that has been photographed. Next to it is a white piece of paper. And the white looks really good compared to the black. Next screen. The, 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 the one on the right is the original. The one on the left is real white. Are y'all having a hard time distinguishing between the two? That's what I thought. It didn't work well in the first service either. So this was the point. <laughs> I know, you got to look really hard. The one on the left is darker. I get it. That's the way I designed it. <clears throat> So when we compare ourselves to the things that are really bad, we can look less, less clear and still look clear because the thing that's really bad looks so much worse than us. But when we compare ourselves to the original, the thing that is less clear looks much more dirty, but we don't have the right kind of comparison. So we still look white if we compare ourselves to the black. And we get an unrighteous evaluation if we don't compare ourselves to the original. It's said better than it's shown. <laughs> but I'm trying really hard today. It was worse than the first service. I'm telling you, y'all got blessed. Y'all got blessed and you don't know it. You don't know it. I had little pieces of paper up here. I was trying to funnel through. And I threw them out. I said, forget it. It was terrible. But we have to be people that are willing to say, let's go to the original standard. What does clean look like? I'm not going to judge myself by Hitler and make myself feel better. I need to go back to Jesus. And that is the standard. Am I like him or not? If I'm not, then I need to fix the unrighteousness that is in my soul. And this man, listen, even though Jesus had not yet died, there was a sense of holiness that could be imputed to people in righteousness that could be imparted for Old Testament saints. It says that Abraham, he became righteous as a result of believing, not doing. In, in Romans chapter 4, that righteousness was actually imparted to him because he believed by faith. 
that what God said was going to come to pass, and it, didn't, it, 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 it mattered what he did, but what he did was not the basis of his righteousness. And so God did things in Old Testament saints, just like he does in New Testament saints, but he does it in New Testament saints in a complete manner. In the Old Testament, it's done in a partial manner. So this was a man who had the best version of righteousness imparted to him so that his soul was so devout that everybody realized that dude is different. When you come into church, people ought to be able to tell you different. Something's different about you. And this kind of foundation allows for something to happen to your eyes. Our eyes don't see well when our heart doesn't allow it to be healed. When our heart isn't right, our eyes don't see well. It says in, in John, first, third John, that we purify ourselves. Third John, uh, verse 2. Everyone who has the hope of Jesus coming purifies himself. Just as Jesus is pure. Because when we see him, we're going to be like him. So something about the heart has a great impact on the way you see with your eyes. Are you with me? You may not see as well as you should if your heart is not as pure as it should be. So the purer your heart gets, the better your eyes get. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes? I think it's verse... Three or four. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? Mm. Something happens to your eyes when your heart gets right. Simeon, devout and here, and as a result, he saw something that nobody else except one of the women who was a prophetess saw that day, and there were a bunch of people in church. Thirdly, it says he was, he was looking for it. It's just not that it came upon him since he was looking for the consolation of Israel or the encouragement of Israel. <laughs> and this man was rubbernecking constantly. Now, why was he looking in the temple? He knew there was something pregnant. All I can say is that this generation was waiting like no other generation for the Messiah. This generation was hoping that something would come and they weren't quite sure how or where, but they knew this, that whenever this child, this person is born that is going to help all of Israel and all the world be better, those parents to whom he is born must bring their baby to be dedicated in the temple. That's a requirement. Leviticus chapter 12 talks about the rites of purification for a woman when she has a child. And a male child, it was 33 days that she needed to, to rest and recover before she brought a sacrifice to the temple to say thank you for the child you've given us. And they would bring the child to dedicate them. This is the only example of this hap happening in all scripture in its fullness. Where Mary and Joseph bring the Christ child. It says in verse 22 prior here in Luke 2 that after the days of, or when the days of her purification were complete, she brought the child. Mary and Joseph did. And so it was a moment for them to sacrifice to God and to say, thank you for what you've done. We're grateful. 33 days allowed for her to, to, to really recover, maternity leave. <clears throat> and then she, she came, sacrificed, the mom and dad did, and then they dedicated the child. So anybody who understood that a Messiah, a Christ, a someone to sit on the throne and to save Israel and be impacting for the entire world. Anybody who was born, if they were in Israel and they had to come from the Israelite people, had to come through the temple first. 
And so Simeon parked himself in church. With the pregnant environment of that generation, he said, I don't know about the marketplace, I might miss them. I don't know about going to the, 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 the Sea of Galilee and fishermen and, and maybe the tax collecting, maybe the, the city gates. I, but I know this, that whenever the child is born, they got to come through here to be dedicated because any child that is born like that will have holy parents. And those holy parents will bring their child here. I'm going to camp out right here. I don't want to miss them. He was rubber every time a child would come in. Mm, pretty baby, but nope. Looking around all rubbernecky. You have to look for Jesus. You got to look for him sometimes. Seek him while he may be found. Hebrews 6 says those who want him must seek after him diligently. You want to find him? You got to really search. Now the beautiful thing is that before you get to the point where he requires that you search, he doesn't require that you search. At least not hard. I mean, when you got right with God, it wasn't because you found him. He found you. And it's not like he lost you. You lost him. And he let you think you found him by him finding you. Because it just came to you. But he was pursuing you the entire time. And he pulled you in while you were lost. He found you. And it's kind of like playing... uh, playing hide-and-seek with a two-year-old. You ever, you ever done that with your two-year-old? Three-year-old, yeah, yeah. What you have to do is you have to hide behind the skinniest lamp in the room. And you, 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 you cover the, count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 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 ten! I found you! I found you! Oh, they sense such accomplishment. But the only way they found their parent is because you let them find them. You let them find you. That's the way it is when you got right with God. He hid behind the skinniest lamp in the living room. That's how good he is. He's trying to help you. But after that, he says, grow up. Seek me. Come on, come on, seek. There's value in the seeking. There's value in the discovery process. Seek me. And after that, we got to look. It's all about finding him in your workplace because he's not near as obvious. It's about finding him in your broken marriage because he's not near as obvious. It's about finding him in your 15-year-old because you can't see him at all. (laughs) He's hiding under the house someplace. I mean, it's just... It's just like, I don't know where I'm going to find him here. He's there. He's there in the most difficult places where you don't think he is. Because he never leaves you or forsakes you. Ever. And so it's your job to seek after him like Simeon. Oh, he wasn't here today. Not that okay. Okay. Like, mm, 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 mm. Seek. Seek. Because he's going to show up. He's going to show up. And as Simeon began to seek... All of a sudden, he saw. But I'm convinced that part of the seeking and the discovery was aided by the fact that he was, he was encountering the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. So my last point is the ruach. And that, that Hebrew, and it, it, I, I used an R because I ran out of English. 
That's Hebrew. Um, it means spirit. And I had to have the alliteration. I'm sorry, that's just what I do. It's righteous, reverent, rubbernecking, ruach. Yeah. That's not for you, that's for me. I don't have any notes. <laughs> so it's a way I remember what the next point is. It's all the same. You really don't care about what I'm speaking on right now. <laughs> this is all for me. It's just like self-therapeutic or something. I don't know. Ruach, Hebrew, means breath or spirit. It says that the Spirit of God was on him, and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death until the Lord's Christ came. And it says he was walking in the Spirit on that day. Wow. Three references to how this man was involved with the Holy Spirit. You want to see Jesus? You're going to have to let the Holy Spirit be evident in your life on a regular basis. You want to see him manifest himself in, in this Christmas like never before? Allow the Holy Spirit to come in the house. Allow him to guide you and lead you. Let him manifest himself in, in, in enveloping you. Today we call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But it's not just a one-time experience. I want to be walking in him and have him envelop me every day of my life. All day long. Walking in the Spirit. Having him be on me. Having him live through me. That allows my eyes to see things that I could not see otherwise. As a result, Simeon saw God in the next generation. Now this is an intentional segue to our, our idea about what next looks like. We are intentional about making sure that the second generation comes into something that allows them to progress beyond us and setting the stage so that they can progress well, not hindering them in their progress. I was with somebody <clears throat> about four months ago, and they were in their mid-60s, and I was telling them about our church, and they, uh, they asked me, so when, when, when do you think you might retire? And I, at that time, I was 57. And they were hoping I'd say somewhere around 70, because their pastor was, was retiring at 70. I said, hmm, probably a couple of years. I'm still going to be around, but I probably won't be doing near what I'm doing in the local church because we'll have other congregations that we've started, and I'm going to be a father and grandfather rather than just dad. He looked at me and said, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You're just getting good. <laughs> I said, well, I appreciate that. I'm grateful for your, your kind words. And you're probably right, meaning that as long as I stay right with God, and I experience the grace of God beyond my abilities, his sustaining power, and I keep studying, and I keep loving, and I don't do anything stupid, I probably at 65 will be better than I am now. I'll be able to say things much more clearly and with less effort. I'll accomplish more with, with less work because I'll be smarter and wiser. I said, you're probably right. But it, and my age is no longer about how much I can do. It's what they can do. And there's no question that I could continue to sit in this chair and figure out how in the world I can be sustained until I'm 80 because I work out well and I drink nasty stuff called kombucha. <laughs> I mean, I really make my body my slave. I do. 
I mean, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I compete according to the rules and I make my body my slave, buffeting it, lest after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified. Now, he's probably talking there about moral failure or financial failure and disciplining his old soul so he does the right thing all the time so that people will not disqualify him from ministry and say, see, you're a hypocrite. And though others may have benefited, they now look at him and say, you couldn't finish well. And then begin to malign God as a result of his poor lifestyle. That's probably what he was talking about. But it has great application to the fact that anybody can be disqualified from ministering the gospel if it just means they're not able to do so. Nothing, nothing with respect to whether they're morally right. If I'm up in a hospital bed, I can't be here. So I've decided... By the grace of God, I'm going to participate with his grace. And I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to shoot holes in my own boat. So there are five things for which I, I, I won't die. Five. I've, uh, four-footed animals. <laughs> finances. Foolishness. Fun. Food. Those five things I'm not going to die for. So if Bambi runs across the road, I'm not veering off. I will not hit a tree. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'm not dying today. Finances mean very little to me. Somebody comes and tries to rob me on the street to take my money. Say, give me your wallet. I said, oh, hold on. Would you like my coat too? Because I'm interested in winning them. I'm not trying to protect my stuff. God can give me more stuff. I'm trying to win them. And if I say, can I give you my coat? They walk away thinking, you weird. <laughs> what, 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 what kind of robbery is this where you just start giving stuff away? This ain't right. Who are you? And even though we may not have a conversation about the gospel, I will preach him in the midst of him taking stuff from me so that when he goes home, he can't go to sleep without thinking about me. And most importantly, thinking about the God I serve. So I've thought this stuff out. But one of the things for which I'm not dying is food. And so I've decided to eat well. And I told my daughter, she asked me, she said, Daddy, why do you work out so hard every day? I mean every day. Why do you work out so hard? It looks like I just came out of a pool when I finished working. Why? I says, baby, I never want you to have to care for me. I'll be 80 and be this strong. That's my goal. She gave me a big hug. Not because she did. She was thinking, well, thank you. I don't want to care for you either. <laughs> but she appreciated the love. My point is this. You want to make sure that you're qualified at all times and in every way to be a, a good minister of the gospel. So I'm working hard to participate with the grace of God to ensure that my body is strong enough to handle all the pressures that I might go through in life. And so I, I need 
the Spirit of God to enable and empower all the stuff I do so that I can be best prepared to see him in places like I've never seen him. And this allows for things to happen, my eyes to open, my heart to be pure, all of this so we can see Jesus now and later. And when we talk about second generation stuff, even though I'm well able to continue on, it's not about my ability. It's about whether they can do what they need to do. And here's Simeon, though he had the ability to see, probably the ability to speak and to, to, to influence others, it wasn't about him that day. He said, God will now allow me to pass because my eyes have seen God in the second generation. I see him. And every day, we who have gray hair should come into the house trying to figure out what does it look like for folks who are younger than us to come into all of theirs. Everybody generally has a succession plan. Married couples have a, su- a, su- a succession plan. It's called children. <laughs> Businesses have a, su- a succession plan. Churches, rarely. Because they're all trying to figure out how we can make it as long as possible. Not us. And that's what next is for us. It doesn't mean I go away. It simply means they come in. As a result, Simeon saw stuff because he was looking. When you come into church, what are you looking for? Are you looking to get your needs met? I'm happy. I really am because this is, this is we may not be the best place to get your needs met, but we are our supply. Are you looking to hear something that's going to help you to get better at whatever you do? Great. Happy about that. That's, that's partly what the church is for. But at some point, you need to come in with your eyes open to see how others can be benefited. Looking that others might be helped. Your eyes able to see Jesus in places beyond just you. Looking for the consolation of the church. The encouragement of the church. And I don't know that there are many things that encourage the church more than the second generation being able to do it. I have a bunch of friends of mine who are pastors and they're a little bit older than me. And they, they look at our church staff website. They said, where do you get all these young people? I said, our website doesn't look like yours. Where do you get all these young people? I said, we, we bought them. <laughs> yeah, we went on Walmart and they had young people for sale and we, we bought them. I said, dude, we raised them. Well, how did you get them to stay? We were looking for them to stay. We were creating environments for them to stay. We were creating an opportunity for them to succeed. We gear everything around them not only staying, but taking over from us. We're not territorial. We're not into our own. We want to give it away. We got to be simians, all of us. That will allow us the privilege of seeing things that we've never seen before. And may you see Jesus at this Christmas like you never have before. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Empower us to be the kind of people who can see you 